careful steps towards Christmas. How do we prepare our hearts, our lives, our homes to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the image of the invisible God becoming completely visible and touchable in Christ Jesus for you and for me? How do we celebrate God getting ready to interact with humanity in a new and a different and amazing way? Not by sending messengers, but by himself stepping into the world and putting on frail flesh. It's as huge as this amazing thing that God does, and I think sometimes it can get lost in the shuffle. It can get lost in the family drama. It can get lost in the travel arrangements. It can get lost in the busyness. We take our first careful step toward Christmas by looking back and seeing what God has done in human history, by understanding what it means for us, and by hearing the call to respond as Paul encourages us to look now to him. See, God has been working through histories, through promises of deliverance to Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now at just the right time, God's immeasurable love for us takes form in the most measurable way in his son, Jesus. God in the flesh. Completely frail, completely measurable, completely there for you and for me. So we turn and we hear about God's plan to do things in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now to him. Now to him is a call to see God interacting with creation. Come to a culmination in God's commitment to enter into the world himself in this frail and fragile way. And what's so beautiful, so amazing about it is it's not how we would have done it, right? I mean, if we were some almighty, powerful God, we'd show up on the scene like Thor. Like, hey, recognize me, I'm here. But God comes and tells Mary what's happening just so she can know. 
No great announcement, no great thing. God doesn't come in as a conquering king. He comes in as a fragile child. Now to him beckons us to look, calls us to see this infant born in a manger for you and for me, that all of history has been pointing to this one event where where the God who is over all and through all and in all enters into the world for you and for me. Insignificant, meek, and mild. Tangible, touchable, here for us. And the fact that he enters into the world in such a way is what makes this insignificant event to some be so significant for us is because he comes into the world as one of us. Now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Now to him begs us to ask, so what? Why is this so significant? Why should this interrupt our busy lives and stop us and redirect our attention? Paul lays out why this is so significant for us when he writes to the Colossians in chapter 1. He says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's so much here for us to help us understand why this event is so significant for you and for me and why this single event should shape our lives and help us to understand who we are and who our God is. But I want to pull out one thing that Paul says. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What Paul is saying here is God is not far. God is not distant. God is not unknowable. Here in Jesus, you can know who God is. You can know how God feels about you. You don't have to question or doubt. And Now, I'm not picking on you if you have questions or doubt. What Paul is saying to us is that if you have those questions and those doubts, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you can know how God feels about you. Look to a God who doesn't remain distant and far off, but rather enters into the world to walk in our shoes and die on a cross and rise again for you. And you can know how God feels about you. You have a God that loves you. A God that wants to be near you. But this is all stuff that if we've been in church just a little bit, we know, right? You've heard this before. This is nothing new. The story didn't change from last year. 
We always celebrate that God enters in the world and we look to the fact that it's significant for us because of what he does for us. We know that the whole Christmas narrative is graciously written by the hand of God. But what I want to draw your attention to is that last part. That the gracious hand of God is also writing the narrative of your life and mine. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory in Christ and in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him is a call to recognize that we have a God who is active in our lives. It is a call to recognize that our God daily provides for the needs of our our body and our spirit. It is a call to recognize that he has entered into the world and redeemed us. It is a call to recognize that he calls us. Not because of who we are, but because of his grace and his mercy in Jesus for you and for me. It is a call to worship. Now to him is a call to worship the king born as an infant for you and for me. See, what Paul does in the first few chapters of Ephesians is lays out salvation history, how God interacts with humankind and has this plan of salvation, how he works out his purposes for you and for me, and then he leads into this beautiful prayer, beautiful prayer for the Ephesians that they would know how great the love of God is for him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these words of praise burst forth. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He gets through all that and he can't do anything but praise God. Praise God for what he has done, for what he will do. He bursts forth in this beautiful doxology of praise to God. So too for us, this Advent season, as we consider God's work in human history and what it means for us, the proper response, the only response is to worship him. Now to him interrupts our daily lives and interrupts the busyness of the season. And that's where some of us start to think, okay, I've got another thing to put on the to-do list, another thing to jam into my calendar to try and fit in to make this Advent season what it needs to be as I prepare for Christmas. And I know that being that you're here, I'm probably preaching to the wrong crowd. But worshiping him is the best thing for us. Uh, We need it. We were made to worship. We as people worship whether we like to or not. It's what we do. It's built into us. But you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, David Foster Wallace had this to say about worship. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. Granted, he was sort of an atheist agnostic. He tried the religion thing and it didn't stick. But he said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. 
The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Well, you get the idea. He continued, but the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. And what he's getting at there is that people are made to worship. And we as people are going to worship something. And so if we don't have anything set in our minds or our hearts that we're intending to worship, we'll take good things that God gives this and turn them into ultimate things. It's natural for us as people when we're upset, when we're in pain, uh, we turn to something, to someone to take away the frustration and the anger and the anxiety and the loneliness to give meaning and purpose to our lives. And what Paul's telling us, what David Foster Wallace is telling us, that if we give anything that kind of meaning in our lives, it will demand that we sacrifice everything in order to get it. And here's the thing that makes Jesus different. He doesn't demand that you sacrifice everything in order to get him. He sacrifices everything in order to get you. How many kings come down from their throne to be with their subjects, to wrap their arms around their subject and say that you are mine and you have a place in my family. Now if I've done my job, you're saying, all right, I know. I need to worship God and I need to not worship these other things, but the practical question, because if this is all I do, you're kind of stuck going into Advent and Christmas, right? How do you practically worship Jesus and not these other things in your life? I have to ask the question, how do I know what I'm worshiping, especially if these things that I can worship in my life are unconscious, that they happen without me knowing, and take those worshipful acts and redirect them to Jesus? I like to think about it like this. What are you holding on to with your hands, and what are you focusing on with your eyes? What are you holding on to with your hands, and what are you Focusing on with your eyes. And we need to take those things and replace them with Jesus. A couple practical tools. Uh, this past uh, Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, a beautiful service. Uh, where we're getting into the right thankful mood to go and spend time in the war zone of family. And um, they're closing the service with these beautiful words from uh, Psalm 145.21. My mouth will speak in the praise of the Lord. 
that every creature plays his holy name forever and ever. And as I started reading those words, they resonated with my soul. I stepped into kind of the stillness and the presence of God into a worshipful place. And then all of a sudden, I became painfully aware of my cell phone vibrating in my pocket. And I know what you're thinking, Mike. Don't look at me like that. Because you're thinking, he texted me in church two weeks ago. Turn it off. Put it on silent, put it away, leave it somewhere else and step into the stillness of God's presence. Get to a place where you can't be distracted or interrupted, where you can spend time with God, spend time with your family, the people that he places in your life, instead of spending time with the device. Something I heard the other day is, if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is check your phone before you say hi to your spouse, to your children, to the person that you're living with, wherever it is, you have a problem. That's called an addiction. If that's the thing that guides your life, if the light of the phone is guiding your life, Advent is an opportunity for you to reset your heart and your life. You need another light. Jesus. Another thing that I encourage you in the busiest of this season to find is to find some time for solitude. It was something that God kind of put in my heart a few months back that solitude used to be one of my spiritual practices with running. I'd get out and just be alone for an hour or so uh, every day. I hadn't done that in a while, and so I had this great idea that I'm going to go and hike some mountains with my kid brother, Micah. He's getting married in a couple of months, which was last weekend now. And so we go out into God's creation, and stepping out into God's beautiful creation, I really felt that I was experiencing the very presence of God. And so here I've got some, some pictures to share with you. Uh, this is as we're starting up the mountain, uh, Kite Lake, and here's a Democrat at the top of uh, one of the mountains that we were on. And here's the geographical marker by my foot uh, for Mount Lincoln. And this is after we came down. And now, you want to know what the problem is with each and every one of these pictures? I took them with my phone. I got to the top of Mount Lincoln and texted the picture of the geographical marker to my wife and posted it on Facebook. I blew the point of the whole exercise of spending time with God by taking my tether to the world with me. I encourage you this Christmas season, find some time for stillness. Find some time for solitude to be with God, to recognize his working in human history, to recognize what it means to you. And it can be as simple as when you get in the car to go and get Christmas gifts or go shopping, just turn off the radio. Just turn off the radio, turn off the sound, and just drive and be with God. Because here's the thing about Christmas. In 27 days, it's going to be knocking on the door whether you prepare your heart and your life or not. Now to him is a called, see gracious, 
the gracious hand of God working in human history. Now to him is a call to see the significance for you. Now to him is a call to clear out the idols in your heart and your life and worship him. Now to him is a call to dwell in the presence of God. That you can be refreshed, refilled, and prepared to celebrate the birth of the Christ child. I invite you to stand now and I'd like to read those words one more time all together as we look to him this Advent season. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.